Hello and welcome to the Arise and Build podcast. This is Jody Grace and we're here to inspire, educate, and activate believers in Missouri to steward and protect freedom in every area of life, especially here in the heart of America. We're going to be talking about what's happening right here in our culture, how it connects to scripture, and what we can do to bring our conservative Christian values back into the public square. If you haven't already, I'd love for you to go ahead, hit the subscribe button so you can get our updates and join us as we work together, just like Nehemiah and the Israelites did, to arise and build a wall around the great state of Missouri. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. We've got a really special guest. We have Senator Rick Bratton here with us. I'm so thrilled that he was able to clear his schedule of a little time today to visit. Thank you so much for being here, uh, Senator Bratton. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor and a privilege to be on your show. Well, thanks. So can you tell some of our listeners, in case they're not familiar with you or your district, can you just um, tell us a little bit about you, where you're at, and what your district is? Yeah, absolutely. So I represent the 31st Senatorial District. It's Cass County, Johnson County, and Bates County, where uh, my district's basically uh, right south of Kansas City, uh, depending on where you're at in the state. So that's that's where I situate. i kind of guard the state line um, and uh, love love it here. I was born in Cass County and uh, just honored to be its senator and representative. I have five children. Uh, I have three that are grown and out. One's in actually Marine Corps boot camp right now. He's going to be a fellow Marine, going to be graduating here uh, in about right at a month from yesterday. Um, have two littles that are in school still and still – having to do sports and, and all the, the fun stuff mm-hmm. that, that comes along with, with being a parent with a big family. Um, I own a construction company and to be honest, I got involved in politics because I was sick and tired of seeing lies, deception, people not willing to follow through on what they campaign on. And honestly, I kept praying to God, like, why, why can't you raise someone up that's going to stand and fight and tell the truth and, and be unwavering and, and fully committed to uh, this cause. And he finally revealed to me, he's like, well, look in the mirror, you know, get off the, the bench and get out on the field. And, you know, by God's grace coming alongside me and, and helping me to, uh, you know, get elected because I had no clue what an election even was or what it took to get elected. I thought it was like throw up a couple of signs, maybe go to a parade and, hey, that's how you win an election. And boy, was I wrong. But <laughs> You know, he came alongside me every step of the way and facilitated uh, a victory of uh, taking out an incumbent Democrat that everybody in the district loved. And, you know, then the rest is history. I was elected in 2010 and uh, I serve currently uh, at the end of my first term uh, in the state Senate. Well, I really appreciate you being willing to step up. I know that uh, for so many of us, we find ourselves today in that same position you were when you first started, just really frustrated with the culture, frustrated with the government, and um, feeling that same way, that there are so many politicians who are really mostly self-serving, I believe, and not fulfilling those campaign promises, not doing things that uh, we would expect from a Republican supermajority here in Missouri. And, uh, you know, 
so I know that it was a big step of faith. I know, um, you know, last campaign session, I kind of had the, the uh, baptism by fire in the campaign world. So I know it's a big, a big task, a big job. And I just want to thank you for being willing to step out in faith and follow what you felt like the Lord was leading you to do um, into this, this world of politics. So um, tell me, uh, tell me kind of your overall feeling. We, you and I have talked personally about this session, this past session in 2023 and, and um, you know, some of the things that have transpired, but um, I've watched you, Senator Bratton, I've watched you stand and fight for your district. Um, I've watched you stand and fight for individual liberty. Um, so I've, I've been there in the gallery. I've been in your office. We've had lots of conversations and I've seen it personally myself. I've seen you stand and fight. And, um, so thank you for that. But can you share just, you know, some of your frustrations because we are a super majority. So why is it that we are not seeing, um, Republican things happen? I think a lot of it has to do, or the, the bulk majority is leadership. You know, the, the fact that we we don't have a vision of, of where we want to be next session, next session, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, it's just, you know, the, those who have no vision, uh, you know, perish. I mean, and, and that that's basically what we had this last session uh, where we – we had a lot of members that had vision and wanted to do a lot of things, but we had those in, in key mm-hmm. roles and places that they did not have that same vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they didn't have the vision that most people have. Uh, we saw that, and that's what was frustrating uh, with bill referrals that uh, actually mimicked that of the way the House operates, uh, the, the slow rolling of, of those referrals to go to committee to actually move any sort of legislation forward. It, so it, you know, throughout session was very slow rolled. So nothing really got to move. So at the end of session, since we weren't even hearing anything or bringing anything up, it, it became a bottleneck towards the end of session. And therefore it exploded. It was like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, what's going to happen if, if you allow everything to come to a head right at the very last week or so of session and couple that with the, the, the monstrous, ridiculous budget that continues to get passed. Right. And, you know, it's, it was a recipe for failure that I think anyone <laughs> that has any legislative experience knew that's exactly what was going to happen with the way things were going. And uh, then you, you team that up with, uh, you know, I'm, I'm for term limits in, in the, the fact of, hey, like a 16-year spread, but I think that we kind of over overshot the pendulum a bit on the, the eight-year limit. Mm-hmm. And I say that because now that institutional knowledge is no longer there. You also lose great people, and that's what we kind of experienced this go-round is we had Bob Onder and, and Eric Burleson and, and several others that termed out well, now you're replacing all these people with, you know, folks that you you don't know. They don't know the process, so you get that sort of setback. Uh, and it was just a recipe for disaster. I mean, I uh, I could go on and on, and, and right. I know a lot of people make glaze over of on on the details. Uh, believe me, right. I used to as well. But 
it was just a recipe for disaster, unfortunately, this go around. Right. Well, I think those details people do glaze over. I think they glaze over because they don't really understand. And um, but I think what what I love to do is help bring some light to those details and some understanding so that people do understand that, you know, we we do elect um you, we elect our, you know, our senators and our representatives, and we expect that they're going to go do a job. But the real truth is, um, even a senator doesn't have the power that you think that they do um, in this, in this system, the way that it's set up and structured. And especially when you have leadership, whose really primary goal is to make everyone happy. And that is the case that we have in the state of Missouri, in the Senate. We have leadership who just wants to make everyone happy, including the Democrats. Uh, They believe that everybody has to be getting along and be happy together for us to get anything done. Um, And I just don't agree. I would rather see all the legislation stopped and blocked if that's what it takes, because what you're exactly right about the bottleneck at the end. In fact, I have every bill that actually passed. Um, there are 40 bills that passed outside of the budget bills. Now, our leadership would want to say that they didn't accomplish anything and that it was the conservatives' fault. But the truth is, they passed 40 bills outside of the budget, and of those 40 bills, 39 of them passed in the last two weeks. 39 of the 40 bills actually passed the Senate in the last two weeks. And I think on the very last day, there was 15 or 16 of them. The second to the last day um, was another big bunch. So the, the actual bulk of them didn't pass until the last two or three days of session. And they end up being these big multi-subject omnibus type bills and what what you see on the chart of the votes is that everybody's voting the same way and they're voting the same way because there's something in the bill that they like and that they support. And that's because leadership wants to keep everybody happy. Well, and it's, it's a method uh, to get a bunch of the hallway priorities done. Yes. You know, you, th- you sprinkle this big pile of dung with just a, a few little granules of things that people want, uh, to get them to, even if they voted against, to not stand up and fight, you know, for that. Uh, so they realize what they're doing and, and trying to to make it to where, you know, you're holding people hostage with these sorts of things. The hallways, don't let them fool you. And I, when I say the hallways, I mean the lobby court. Right. They, they love these omnibus bills because they're able to throw all this, yeah. this stuff. They're getting massive paydays with these omnibus bills because they get to throw the entire Christmas tree and all the ornaments in, in with these bills and, and with the type of leadership we've had, they, they may say they begrudge the conservatives and, and the way it went. Well, it was by design to slow roll all this stuff to where that is all that was able to pass. Mm-hmm. We didn't get anything conservative done this mm-hmm. go round. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at the bills that passed. Right. Look at the bills that were referred to, to committee that, like I had a prohibition on vaccine mandates. It was referred to, to committee and then they literally killed it in committee. 
and they did so with a big smile on their face as they were doing it. Uh, they also killed, you know, prohibition on anti on the red flag laws for our guns. Mm-hmm. You know, Republicans killed that in committee and did so smiling while doing it because I was there in the actual committee watching them kill that bill. And they they do so with uh, a chagrin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's if you look at how it all boils down, it really has to do a lot with the budget. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of times people kind of overlook the budget. We have such a bloated, massive budget. It is, I mean, unthinkable the amount of money that's being spent right now in the state of Missouri. I know people think of the federal government, we hear the word trillion, but on the state level, it's billion, and, and that is a, a, a massive amount of money. So when I came into the, the House in 2010, our budget was $21 billion. Right now, it's what sitting at about fifty-four billion dollars in a twelve-year time span, or thirteen now. It's it's over doubled, well over doubled mm-hmm. in, in its size. They realize, and those at the at the helm realize, the amount of spending is out of control, but they don't want to do anything to curtail it. So what do they have to do? They have to make those deals with Democrats mm-hmm. that they will pass these big bloated budgets. And, and for your uh, agreement to pass these budgets, yeah, we may just kind of slow roll some of those you know, big ticket items that would actually require, require you to fight on these issues. Uh, a perfect example this session of that was the SAFE Act, dealing with right. you know, stopping the gender mutilation and, and the puberty blockers. Yep. Mm-hmm. That, the agreement was with the Democrats to try to, to make as many concessions with that bill as possible because they were worried what they would do with the budget. Right. It wasn't that we were going to literally die on the hill to protect children from being mutilated and, and make sure that it never happened again in the state of Missouri. Instead, we were doing what we could do to, to make sure the Democrats were happy as possible so they would vote for a budget. Right. And it's, it's a travesty. Yeah. But that's the thing. If they didn't have the the Democrats to pass those budgets, then they would have to work with conservatives. And what do conservatives want to do? They want to cut the cut budget. Mm-hmm. They want to cut spending. They want to know what the money is going towards. And if you're if you're just wanting to hand money out like it's monopoly money, you don't want to have to make deals or, or cuts like that. Right. So it's just an unfortunate self-fulfilling prophecy. Like I have said. Uh, because that is the ultimate end game uh, that will lead up with us. Right. So um, we really do, and I think it's important probably, I think it's important for our listeners to really understand. I've had people say, in fact, I, I spoke at a conference in Kansas City not too long ago, and somebody was there speaking, and she lived in California, and she actually put up a chart. Bless her heart. She was a great speaker, but she put up a chart that showed our Republican supermajority, and she was talking about how wonderful Missouri was and how we were so fortunate to have this Republican supermajority. And I spoke um, later in the morning after her, and I had to get up and say, well, we do have a Republican supermajority if you're just looking at colors on the seating chart. However, uh, Missouri's in trouble. Missouri's in real trouble. We are not acting like a Republican supermajority. And in fact, I believe that we're purple. And um, 
because our Republicans, just most of them, aren't acting like Republicans. We've got 34 senators and about maybe six or seven on a good day. If everybody's all in unison, maybe six or seven out of 24 Republican senators who are truly conservative, um, who have conservative values and who are standing trying to fight for the Republican platform. The rest of them are honestly way more left-leaning than anybody realizes. And um, hobnobbing around with uh, the Democrats and and uh, trying to keep all the Democrats happy. And so that results in a situation where we don't see Republican things. We don't see conservative things or things that really do support the Republican platform. And um, there's so many examples of this. But Senator Bratton, how do you feel like I know we've talked about, you know, we we've got to start electing people who are proven conservatives, who are proven to uphold the platform like it's written. And um, so give me some thoughts about, you know, how do we do that? How do our voters, how do the people um, know which one of our candidates are proven conservatives? I know you're running for re-election in 2024. I know you're going to have um, an opponent or two. So talk to us about, you know, how do we, how do voters vet um, these candidates on the ballot when all, all the voters see really are, you know, the campaign ads? Yep. Well, I, th- I think a lot of it is, you know, Try to go somewhere where you have a capability to be able to ask tough questions of the people running to be your representative. Um, that's that's one thing where you can really distinguish, you know, who these people are. You know, try to get with your central committees and have them put forth debates or you know question or allow a question and answer time. And actually ask and dive into difficult situations. You know, there are the vast majority of Republicans, oh yeah, I'm for the Second Amendment. Yeah, okay, right. but explain how how you're you know, for the Second Amendment. Oh, you're pro life. Well, tell me just how pro life you actually are. Let me here are some some you know situations here. You're gonna vote you know, for XYZ. Um, but also go more in the weeds on on certain things to, to really, where are you at on vaccine mandates? Where are you at on, uh, you know, a business's capability to be able to, to, you know, force that on someone? Is that a business's right or is that an individual's right to be able to deny? Mm-hmm. You know, it, but it it really starts, you know, informing, uh, getting your central committees. I think vetting especially is, I know that's a really big um uh, debate among central committees now uh, you know throughout the state uh saying that oh that's just not what we want to get into i know the clerks association said that you know they came out just strongly opposed to that because it could put them in a bad situation if they're mm-hmm. denying candidates to file well so what i mean that's that's what you're supposed to do if they're going to be your representative and somebody's claiming to be something that they're not they shouldn't be on the ballot. They should right. not be able to receive that nomination. Right. Uh, so that that's one thing. The the voting record, uh, if they have one, that's that is the difficult thing because a lot of people 
if they are new, it's more difficult to, to really nail them down where they are on, on subject. But if they have a voting record, really dive into that voting record. Also, look at their sponsorship record of bills. Because mm-hmm. a lot of like with scripture, where your treasure is, there your heart right. will be also. Right. Well, when you're a legislator, you know, it's kind of that same thing. You, you really see a legislator's heart in the things that they do sponsor. Mm-hmm. That's one thing to, to vote for something and say that you support it. But are you going to be the, the water carrier for, you know, these certain issues? Are you going to be the one that's actually fighting to advance the cause? Or are you just going to wait for someone else to do that work for you? Right. Uh, so that's another really good one. Again, that's speaking to somebody who is currently potentially serving Mm-hmm. Um, in in a role like that, so that that's at least a, a good start. But yeah, asking the tough questions, try to stay off the surface level uh, type yeah. question. You have to right. really dive in uh, to really find somebody's heart um, in it, and at least get them to to misspeak. Right. So or or, I, or to, I I don't mean misspeak. I mean to actually uh, say who they actually who they are. are. Right. Right. So um, I think that's one reason that a lot of our Republican conservatives, um, conservative citizens, um, you know, we're busy like with our real lives. You know, we're busy raising families and we're busy doing the things that we do. We have jobs. We have small businesses. We're not just sitting around taking the government check that shows up in the mailbox. Um, So it takes I think at this point, especially because our lives have just gotten so busy, culture is so busy, it takes a lot of effort for um, a responsible citizen to actually do those things to to keep up with the education and to keep up with all the information and take time for those conversations. So since I have you here, um, let's have a few of those conversations ourselves. So I know that um, in your district, You've got some property tax valuation um, issues happening over there in your neck of the woods. I know that education is a big topic um, also. So um, tell me, give me some information and give me your opinion and where, you know, what are your stances on some of these issues? Um, I know for me, the health freedom issue, the vaccine issue was, is big. I want to be able to have freedom to choose, you know, what vaccines my children and I um, take. So just pick one of those topics and let's let's have some discussion. Oh, sure. Well, I mean, one thing that's been really big in my district, uh, we border Jackson County. Uh, we've had some uh, assessments of property values. Uh, I'm, property rights are, are so fundamental. They are the original rights that are uh, you know declared in the declaration of independence to be protected by our government and and that is the uh, initial original uh, charge of government is to protect those rights unfortunately we've got a system now that can place liens upon your very rights property ownership and the capability to be able to to live out your american dream and they're taxing people into oblivion. And I think that's something that, and I have sponsored is where we have to really take a hard look at, you know, do you own your, your land? Do you own your property or does the government or, and you're just renting from them? I mean, this, these are really tough questions that we all have to ask 
and and we have to really dive into uh, to see who we are. I mean, if if uh, everybody's in agreement that the state owns it and that you're just going to rent it for in perpetuity forever, uh, you know, I I think that's uh, one that I just can't can't go along with. Um, but at least we'll know where people are at. Right. So I think looking at at how we assess things uh, and how it's taxed. I'm not against tax. I mean, that's a biblical concept and, and mm-hmm. paying those that are, are doing. I get it's a, a biblical concept, but overtaxation and, and suppression of people, that is also another biblical concept in which we have to, to really take into account to ensure that government isn't harming its people um, by what it's doing. And I believe that it is. Um, right. So property, property tax valuation is definitely one. Um, I've been on the forefront with the medical freedom uh, aspect of mm-hmm. it, too. If you don't have personal autonomy over your body, you do not have freedom. You do not have liberty. Uh, you do not have anything. I mean, again, you're just a ward of the state and them carrying out their, their will upon you uh, whenever they see fit mm-hmm. uh, under the guise of safety. And, mm-hmm. and that's been one of the, the greatest uh, misuses of of. Uh, terminology and, and the way to, to really, uh, um, I guess, indoctrinate people into thinking that, that it's your duty to have to <laughs> protect right. something else uh, other than, than what you feel to be right and true. Right. Uh, so I know that has been huge uh, in, in my district as well. And one that is, has really, honestly, I thought when I got elected in, in 2020, I thought for certain this would have been one of those things that we all locked arms in the legislature and, and we put a stop to this nonsense with the COVID tyranny, shutting down churches, shutting down businesses mm-hmm. for, I would have thought I would have bet my bottom dollar that, that we would have all coalesced behind that. Unfortunately, the hospital association, mm-hmm. all the, the chamber of commerce, they, they emphatically believe otherwise, right. and they quite clear, uh, you know, who's more important than than your individual liberty and freedom. Right. Um, it's so disappointing to see to see that actually play out. To sit in the gallery or to be in the hallways and talk to people, and to see um, to see our Republicans sit down and just allow these egregious things to happen. Um, you know, we've got a few fighters, but we sure don't have nearly enough. Um, you know, Representative Hardwick uh, did a great job trying to get an amendment, you know, added on um, to protect some of that health freedom this uh, session. And unfortunately, you know, it didn't make it all the way across the line. But um, it is uh, shocking to me <laughs> just how much power the lobby core actually has, even in areas like this where you would just expect our Republican officials to do the right thing by the people. And unfortunately, that's just not what we see happen a lot of time when you've got people like the Hospital Association and Pfizer and, uh, you know, Big Pharma and the Chamber involved. And, and it is really disheartening. I also had an amendment that I had on the floor this go round that you know, would have ensured that there were no vaccine mandates. Mm-hmm. And leadership came to me. They swore to me. I had several senators around that 
we would have my bill in committee, heard in committee, and up on the floor before spring break and have a vote on it if I withdrew my amendment. So I was like, you can promise me that. And they're like, absolutely, you bet. And I, there were several right there that, that heard this this ironclad promise. So I did withdraw, like, okay, uh, you know, I'll try to be that team player. And then, again, this is where leadership, you know, honestly uh, just knifed in the back. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get my bill referred before uh, or heard before spring break. And then when they finally got around to it several weeks after spring break, it was a total setup and a sham, and they completely killed the bill and basically said pound sand over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's been this thought process or, or at least this sort of propaganda that's been thrown out there that, oh, you have to have your own bill up um, in order to, to you know, if you want to advance this, you can't add an amendment which is preposterous. Right. Uh, I also had an up that's now law, and had I not offered the amendment, uh, it would have never become law. It had to do with banning uh, sexually explicit material in school libraries. Mm -hmm. I offered that amendment, and I was basically called every name in the book. Republicans and Democrats did a joint news conference uh, to say what a terrible person I was and how dare I, I'm just trying to pull political stunts and blah, 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 blah. And I refused to, uh, to withdraw my amendment and they ended up getting it, allowing it to go through. And guess what? That's how it passed. Right. My, my bill to do it never got anywhere. <laughs> right. That's, right. That's so, how a lot of, a lot of things, a lot of people get language passed is, uh, you know, adding on the amendments at the end. So since it did pass, uh, Senator, tell us what that piece of language actually did. So any, I tried to get where it was literary, but the only thing we could agree on with language wise was, you know, basically imagery uh, that was sexually explicit. And believe me, libraries are, are chock full of, of those sorts of um you know, types of books, mm-hmm. but what it did, it defined what this material was. It even referred back to the obscenity definition in law, but it made it a class A misdemeanor that if this stuff is in the school library, that whomever allowed it, whether it be, and it lists any school official, school board member, all the way down to janitor, if they were found to have allowed this sort of stuff into their libraries, then they could be charged with a class A uh, misdemeanor, punishable up to, to prison time, and and I believe it was a $1,000 fine. And, uh, you know, which it was a great victory, mm-hmm. but unfortunately there's uh, very few prosecutors that even though they may be given, you know, a mountain of evidence and actually shown those sorts of uh, that sort of material they're they're extremely squeamish when it comes to trying to prosecute or anything like that right and that's been the difficulty there so uh you know the law is there and mm-hmm. it is prohibited uh it's just we got to have prosecutors that are willing to stand to protect children uh and bring charges against these schools that are knowingly doing this knowingly providing this ilk Mm-hmm. for children 
to to do what they're supposed to. So I'm gonna this next go around uh, try to you know amend that language to where it's not just something visual. It's it's literary because that's what we're finding is. I mean, it's right. it's basically word word porn right. is what giving kids. It's just disgusting. I mean, when we have parents showing up at school board meetings trying to read this material, and they won't even allow it to be read at the school board meeting because it's so filthy. There is yep. no way in the world those the that those pieces should be on on public school shelves. I don't think they should be on any shelves for children. But um, they definitely do not need to be in our public school libraries. Well, and they, they keep trying to say that I'm a that I can't tell you how many articles they've ran saying I'm a Nazi and that I'm I'm banning books and this is not a ban. This is no. age appropriate. Yes. If if some sick twisted parent wants to go on Amazon and buy this book for little Timmy and Susie that that sick twisted parents still can go do that yes. but to say that we taxpayers are going to put this on shelves for for kids to check out at our library you've lost your mind that's right and that, that's that's where i stand on it and they can you know they can call me all they want they they're the the sick twisted individuals not me right um, well this over sexualization of our children is an inc- i mean it's just i I, I have hard I, I have a hard time coming up with words. I can't even I can't, I just can't believe the things that um, that some people believe are okay to expose our children to. It's just horrific to me. Our children need to be innocent. They need to have you know no cares and no worries and this over sexualization of them um, in all all sorts of ways. But um, we're just we're robbing them of childhoods uh, by forcing things in their in their minds that they just aren't prepared to deal with, you know, from from the books in the libraries. And then it moves into, you know, to me, I see this progression of of the books and it's just a tiny little, you know, exposure. But then we're having these counselors, our school counselors, not all of them, of course, there are wonderful counselors out there, but, you know, the counselors have so much freedom with our children and parents sometimes don't even know that their children are having counseling sessions at school and they're further exposed to these ideas, um, all sorts of ideas about gender and homosexuality and and these things and it's just incredible to me in fact um we've taken our kids out of public school i have one high schooler that attends on a part-time basis but ultimately the reason was i no longer feel safe putting my kids in that environment when i know there could be things happening at school with counselors and the school wouldn't even tell me well, I had a, a constituent uh, that went to the Lee Summit School District that they found out by accident, just stumbling upon an email. They're like, what in the world? Ended up like it ended up turning into Pandora's box where the school district was going behind the parents back to help transition the student mm-hmm. uh, and their daughter. 
even had an, uh, another name calling the kid or mm-hmm. calling their daughter, but I think it was Max, what they started calling the, you know, her, her, mm-hmm. you know, they prefer- basically talked her into, you know, what her preferred pronoun was. I mean, it was just insanity. Mm-hmm. They even had to pull her out and even move away and, and, you know, get her into some really intensive counseling. Mm-hmm. But, but I wish folks, uh, especially our churches, have got yes. to wake up. Yes. Stop partnering with these schools. Yeah. I, I know that sounds really radical. Stop. They are they are not there to to help nurture those kids. They're there to indoctrinate them. Yeah. And and this is, I I don't separate the like abortion issue and all this craziness into separate buckets. This is the enemy full frontal attack trying to spiritually mm-hmm. kill your children. Right. Trying to. You know, go after them, and they're going after their mind, maybe not their life, but mm-hmm. going after their their your spiritual life and, mm-hmm. and trying to destroy them by perverting them in every aspect, in every way, sexually mm-hmm. and, and fundamentally. And mm-hmm. folks, it's real. It's not. It is. I'm speaking, you know, off the cuff and just of things I don't know. This is a story of every, almost every school district you go into is almost to, to this sort of level. Right. You know, even in my public school district, and I live um, in a fairly rural district, it's a, a small district, um, we just, we've got a situation with a, a counselor, and I've had the same thing happen with a friend of mine where, you know, the daughter was seeing the counselor, the parents didn't know by the end, this went on all the whole school year. By the end of the school year, this uh, girl had decided maybe she was a lesbian, maybe she wanted to be a boy, there were all these things, and the parents had no idea these conversations were taking place. And that reminds me of a a Senate education uh, hearing that I attended one day, and you sat on the on the uh, education committee this this session. It was a bill. I, I was there because there was a bill being heard in committee that Senator Moon had sponsored. And this bill would have required the school to notify the parents if there were these types of conversations being had between school officials, teachers, counselors, staff, um, and a child if there were conversations being had about uh, sexuality, uh, gender identity, those types of things. Only that they would let the parents know, this is what just buffaloes me. They weren't saying, the bill didn't say they couldn't have the conversations, but that if they did have the conversations, they needed to notify the parents. So I was in the hearing uh, that day, and the lobbyist for the School Counselors Association was there, And he testified, and one of the reasons that they stood against the bill was because, and I, this is not a, this is not even, um, I'm not even being dramatic. This is literally what the guy said. Um, He said that our children at school needed to have a safe place where they could say things that their parents would be that would be hidden from their parents because of the potential abuse that would happen if the child confided in the parent and 
I nearly fell out of my seat. And thank God you were in that hearing. You actually spoke up. You were one of the few, maybe the only one in that particular case. And you said, wait a minute. (laughs) Are you kidding me? We have a system for abusive parents already set up. But, but you're saying that you're not going to notify parents because of potential abuse that has not even happened yet. And he said, yes. And the Democrats all nodded their head, smiled, and were in agreement. And you were the only one that I recall actually standing up and saying, this is a load of crap. Well, I, I remember that hearing just being blown away that, you know, by the, the contempt towards parents. I mean, it was like that, that parents were on, uh, are the evildoers and, and they're just the safe space to protect them from the, the horrible parents. And that was the, the sentiment of their, their testimony. I also remember asking, I think it was the, the promo lobbyist, you know, they thought, mm-hmm. got up to the testimony of, oh, this this is great and blah, blah, blah. And I, I asked, I said, so if you found out that your child was being uh, counseled behind your back of what is biblical marriage, mm-hmm. what is biblical sexuality, uh, and all these sorts of things that, that were in line with a biblical worldview, would you be upset and want to be notified? Mm-hmm. And she said, absolutely. Like, Right. Okay. <laughs> it's like, like we don't uh, even under we even see the double standard, but we're not going to acknowledge. <laughs> right. It really no, is. I think that people don't really and truly understand that these professions, the counseling profession as a whole, truly believes that your children should have autonomy and privacy, and that you should be kept out of conversations if you're if there's this quote unquote potential for abuse which just equates to not affirming the rainbow business yep yep so it's it's unfortunately that's that's not just counseling i mean that's education in general and i think that's why you see this in literally every school district now because you have all these these old school teachers they're they're like, I'm not doing this stuff anymore. What all this stuff that's coming down on us and and everything, I'm retiring. I'm getting out of this business, only to be filled with with these this new generation of teachers that are are of this mindset and of this vision uh, of you know all this ideology to to cram down your kids' throat and. Uh, all the DEI and the the social emotional learning, you know, nonsense and and mm-hmm. all of the stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's what they've been been force fed in their their you know teacher training. Right. So you can't escape. That's the thing. You cannot escape it any longer because that's who's going to be coming to fill those positions is coming from the same locations right. Uh, right. as the other school districts. So. Right. There's no escape any longer. And that's the the unfortunate thing. It is. Well, Senator Bratton, I appreciate you. I really do. I've seen you stand. I've seen you fight. And I only wish we had more like you. Um, So 
I'm your biggest cheerleader. I'm here to help you do um, and accomplish anything that I can. And I really appreciate you being here this morning. We've gone a little over, but I appreciate it because I've enjoyed the conversation. And I hope that, um, you know, maybe we can even do it again sometime. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And God bless you for what you're doing. And uh, appreciate your friendship and, and your support. Thanks, thank you. Senator. Have a great day. You too. Hey, Bye. thanks for spending some time with me today. I really appreciate it. I hope you found it beneficial and valuable. I'd really encourage you in the next few days to pick up your Bible and grab the practical tools you need to arise and build. Don't forget to subscribe and check out the blog at jodygrace.com. I'll see you soon.